Lord, and we praise him for it. And certainly the message of the song is, is very, very true. Appreciate the poem as well. If I could write poetry, I probably wouldn't do anything else, right? But, oh, well, God gives some gifts to some and others to, I read poems very well, right? As long as I don't have to read them out well, out loud. <laughs> anyway, open your Bibles, if you would, please, Second Corinthians chapter 10. It's good to see all of you out this morning. I appreciate the fact that you've come. Last week, as most of you are aware, was a very busy weekend for us. Uh, it's already been a week since our cantata presentation, Resurrection Day. Uh, and uh, we had the presentation on Saturday evening and Sunday evening as well. I want to say thanks once again to all of those that participated in it, all of those that worked so hard to bring it to pass, and then all of those that worked so hard to put it away after it was all done. I'd love to come back in here the following Sunday uh, and find that, you know, we've got like a church platform again. Uh, it's always good. It's nice to have a prison up here for, time, for the time being, right? But we don't want to keep it that way all the time. So I appreciate all of those that worked so hard. And we're continuing to pray that the message that was presented at the cantata will be going forth and that hearts will still be stirred by it. Uh, by the way, there is a video available. Brother Donnie O'Neill has worked hard putting that available. And I think right now he's got it on his YouTube channel. So Donnie's sitting right over here. If you can find him after the service, he can tell you how to get there. Uh, and eventually we want to have it on our uh, on our channel there, or Facebook or what have you, uh, there at the, the church. But in the meantime, that's available for you. And I've been simply amazed at the way it came, about, came about. Uh, the Lord blessed tremendously and everything worked well and for the glory of God. We praise the Lord for it, for all the hard work that went into it. I also want to mention before I get going this morning uh, that we started today with a new Sunday school class. Now, this is primarily for those that are not going to Sunday school anywhere right now. Uh, the new Sunday school class, we're calling it Breaking Chains, and it has to do with breaking all kinds of chains of bondage. We're starting out for these first few weeks, and it may be the first year for all I know. I don't know for certain. Uh, Brother Jay Corey and myself are kind of tag-teaming the teaching in there, and we're talking about breaking chains of financial bondage. So if you're interested in that, uh, then we invite you to come and be a part of that class. It's upstairs, room F207, over in our Family Life Center, all the way at the end of the hall. And we invite you to come and join us next Sunday morning at 930-ish. No, seriously, 9.30 uh, in the morning is when we start, and we'd love to see you there if you're already involved in a Sunday school class. So come and be a part if you would. Be praying if you would, please, for Brother Tommy Frankovich. Uh, he teaches our adult uh, Sunday school class here in the auditorium. He had a heart attack on Friday and is doing well. Uh, he's in recovery and so forth, and uh, Miss Sherry can give you a full report on that later on. Uh, but keep praying for him if you would, and thank the Lord for his watchful care over his servants. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, have you found it yet? It's in the New Testament, in case you're still stumbling around. As soon as you found that last passage, stand with me if you would, please, in reverence to the Word of God as we read. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to begin reading in verse number 3. The Bible says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We'll stop right there for now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today. I thank you for uh, the privilege of opening your word and finding in it the things that we need uh, to face our daily lives. 
Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide this morning, that you would be the teacher, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth according to your promise. Lord, that you speak to the hearts of every individual that's here. Uh, I don't know. There may be somebody here this morning that doesn't yet know you as Savior. And certainly, if that's the case, I ask you to stir them up and draw them to yourself. And Lord, help them to hear enough of the gospel this morning that they may understand their need of you and come and be saved uh, before they leave here. But I pray for your people. Uh, Lord, the, the battle is real. Uh, there's certainly uh, a, a war going on, and I pray that you would make us aware of it and that you would give us the equipment that we need to be able to be victorious. We know that you've already sealed the victory by your resurrection from the dead and indeed by your death on the cross for our sins. But, Lord, I pray that that, that victory might become a reality in each of your children's lives today. Uh, I want to ask you as your vessel that you would forgive me of sin. Lord, that you would remove from my heart and my mind distraction and all those things that would crowd in upon us and keep us from being all that we ought to be and keep us from being instruments uh, in your hands. Lord, I give myself to you today. I ask only that your will be done in me. And I want to pray the same thing for all of those that hear. Uh, Lord, that there will not be a person here that is resistant against you, but rather that every one of us would be fully submitted, fully yielded, to you and obedient to your leadership and that you would have your will and way in us we thank you for what you've done what you're going to do in jesus name amen all right now i've got a oh there it is i was scared there for a minute i thought i didn't have a magic clicker and you know uh, once you get once you get addicted to these things you can't hardly preach without them not that i'm going to push the buttons or anything i just like to have something to wave around while i'm, while I'm talking but uh, seriously hopefully this will be a help to you uh, i actually uh, this is this is true confession time okay uh, i actually had a completely different message planned out for this week i wanted to go a certain direction and for whatever reason the lord was not opening the door uh, to that and was in conversation actually yesterday with Brother Corey uh, there in the office, and the Lord brought to mind once again the passage that we've read this morning and uh, felt that it was kind of uh, important that we go this way. Now, I know we've talked a lot recently about the spiritual battle, the warfare in which we're involved, uh, but I have to tell you, folks, that I've been noticing more and more that the battle is very, very real, uh, and we've got, we've got our people that are under attack right now uh, by all the different uh, slights, all the different uh, uh, devices of the devil. And so I believe that it's important for us to be prepared uh, to do battle on a daily basis. Uh, we, we are under attack, you understand, physically and emotionally and every other way. And we need to be ready for that. Uh, by the way, along the same lines, in our Wednesday night Bible studies, and this is a shameless advertisement, just so you'll know, uh, but we've just finished up a series of studies on presenting the gospel. We've been calling it Soul Winning on Purpose, and we've just started a verse-by-verse study on the prophecies of Daniel. And so if you want to know what this world's coming to, come on Wednesday night and we'll tell you, all right? And we're talking about the prophecies of Daniel. Uh, you're invited to join us as we see some exciting news there for the end times. But having said that, our message this morning might be considered kind of a capstone to the studies that we've been doing on presenting the gospel, on winning souls, on telling people how they too can know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and how they can know they're going to heaven when they die and uh, how they can be one of us, right? One of the believers, one of the children of God. Uh, The point is that when we win a soul, we are making inroads into the enemy's territory. You understand that uh, the devil doesn't like that. 
He doesn't like it when you do what you're supposed to do as a child of God, both in your own personal devotional life, uh, preparing the, uh, the, the, the inner man, if you will, to do battle with him on a daily basis. And he certainly doesn't like it when you're out there bringing other people into the fold, uh, which is what, what soul winning is all about. So our message this morning is going to be kind of a capstone, if you will, on that series of studies. Uh, we've also periodically gone through the reality of the spiritual battle in which we were engaged. I mentioned that we've talked about this quite often lately. Uh, and the reason is, that be, is because the battle is very real. And we're becoming more and more aware of it daily. The, the enemy is active and merciless. Uh, he's, not, he's not one that gives quarter, if you will, just because we happen to be down and kicking. The stakes are very high. In our warfare, and I believe it's very—it's indispensable that we, as God's people, be aware first of all that we are under attack, and then secondly, how to deal with those attacks when they come. The warfare of which the Scriptures speak takes place both externally and internally. Now, there's another passage that goes hand in glove with the passage that we're using as our text this morning, and it may, for our purposes, uh, be considered a second text as we go through this, uh, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, and this is a passage that many of you are very aware of or very familiar with. What we're talking about this morning is conquering enemy territory. Our text is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, but there's a secondary text in Ephesians chapter 6. You may have memorized this, but the Bible says, beginning in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Note, if you will, especially verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, in this particular verse, verse 13, he says that we may be able to withstand, that is to uh, resist uh, defensively the onslaughts of the enemy. But then he goes on and says that having done all, to stand. And I want to show you before we're done that that's actually an offensive term. We're actually going forth and conquering territory that belongs now uh, to the enemy. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all uh, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god take special note of that we're going to be coming back there to verse 17 later on verse 18 says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so this is going to function primarily as our secondary text, if you will, as we go through the message probably today and next week. In both passages, the Holy Spirit speaks to us about the weapons and the methodologies of our battle against a vicious foe. Unfortunately, too many times we come to believe that our battle is almost entirely defensive. That is, that we are standing our grounds, that we put up the bulwarks, and we're resisting the attacks of the enemy. But the Bible teaches us that we often are on the offensive. The truth is that we are to carry the battle to the enemy. 
not in the sense of dabbling in spiritism and the occult and those kinds of things, for we know that the Bible warns us strongly against that kind of involvement, but rather there's a way that we can press the battle and actually conquer enemy territory, both externally in the world and internally within our own souls. And that's what we're going to be talking about. I believe the Lord would have us to examine today, and as I say, probably next week. We're going to be focusing primarily on our passage here in Second Corinthians. My prayer is it will become more active and effective in our presentation of the gospel, and that we'll become more victorious in our daily internal struggles against the devil, the world, and even our own flesh. Consider with me this morning the identity of our weapons, the nature of our weapons, and the effect of our weapons from our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 primarily. First of all, I want to look with you, if you will, at the identity of our weapons. What are the weapons that we are talking about? Verse 3, the Bible says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want to tell you that the weapons themselves are not specifically mentioned in these few verses. Now, they are listed in the rest of the context, and that's why it's important for us to study the Scriptures and the context of the Scriptures in which they're given. Uh, But in Ephesians chapter 6, the the, uh, secondary text, if you will, that we chose this morning, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, uh, I want you to know this morning as we get into this that this is probably in reverse order. In other words, I probably should have gone through the other things first and then given the the identity of our weaponry. Uh, But I want you to know what we're dealing with before we get into the nature of those weapons and the effect that they have on the enemy. So uh, that's why we're starting where we are. Uh, In talking about the weaponry, In the context that we're looking at here this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in Ephesians chapter 6, the primary weapon of the believer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the primary weapon that we have with which to attack the gates of hell. And the Bible talks about this over and over again. Actually, if you go to the first chapter of the book of Romans, the primary purpose for the giving of most of the New Testament was that we might have the tools that we need in order to carry this gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world and to conquer enemy territory. You do understand that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. You understand that the Bible calls him, the devil, the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the one who controls the majority of the thinking in all societies in the world today. And we understand that from the Scriptures. But that's not to say that we're defeated. Now, by the way, uh, on our Wednesday evening Bible study, we're talking about the sovereignty of God and how he overcomes a lot of the evils of the world in order to bring about his master plan. Uh, But here we're talking about the fact that all of these principalities, all of these powers are sold under sin. They're given over to the control of Satan, and we have to know how to overcome them. And the Bible gives us this in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. This is actually the context, too, of what's being discussed in the passage that we started with in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, if you'll look back just a few verses, and I'll remind you here that as you're going through the New Testament, it's very important to remember that the chapter divisions are actually put there for your, uh, for your convenience. 
okay? And so uh, it's a mistake as we're reading the scriptures to make a hard break between the chapters and not to know that the, the, the theme most of the time is continuing on. We go back just a few verses into chapter 9. The next, well, uh, two verses from the end of chapter 9 in verse number 13. He says, while by, the, while by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Now, all the chapters leading up to this are talking about a gift that was being given to Paul uh, for the purpose of ministering to the poor saints in Jerusalem and primarily for advancing the gospel. And in that context, he says, in in the first verses of chapter 10, reading there with me in your Bibles, he said, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, the whole point is, in my presentation of the gospel to you, I want you to understand that sometimes what seems to be boldness is love in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what seems to be weakness is actually the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But it all has to do with the presentation of the gospel. And this is what I'm trying to get you to understand, that the context here is as Paul presents the gospel, he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the primary understanding of this passage is when we're talking about pulling down strongholds, we're talking about strongholds of resistance out there in the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we pull them down. Now, there's an application to be made to the strongholds within our own hearts and souls. And we're going to make those applications as we go through. But the primary interpretation is the pulling down of strongholds out there by the presentation of the gospel. The accusation was being leveled against Paul that he was weak and that he lacked power. As we said uh, there in verse 2 of this particular passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says that I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And this was kind of being used against Paul. Said, this, is, this guy's a weakling. This guy is some kind of a, uh, you know, uh, now, this is probably politically incorrect, so I want you to know that ahead of time. But when we, used to, when we were kids growing up, there was a little flower that we used about this kind of an individual. We said he was a pansy. Right? <laughs> now, I understand that's not politically correct these days, but you understand what we're talking about. There were a lot of the people there in Corinth that were saying, this Paul, he's a weakling. You know, he, he's, a, he's a weak little nobody. He, kinda, he has, a, he has a, a shy and retiring way of speaking, and he's timid, and he's meek, and he can't be very strong. But Paul is saying, no, that's not at all true. Rather, we're presenting to you the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, what he was actually portraying was the meekness and gentleness of Christ in his preaching and in his presentation of the gospel, as we saw back in verse 1 of our text. Uh, I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And so he's presenting to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I want you to understand then primarily our weaponry as far as externally is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to understand that our weaponry includes the word of God. Uh, The gospel or the word of God declared. It is our offensive weapon in the battle against the world. 
Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says there, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, there's also 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 7 uh, on this particular slide. Hang on to that one for a minute. We're going to get there, okay? Uh, but the point here is that our, the gospel is our offensive weapon, the Word of God as it goes forth. But there's a second aspect to the Word of God, and that is the Word of God as applied internally. As I'm engaging in the spiritual battle, my external weapon, the sword of the Spirit, is what? The Word of God, and specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my internal weapon, how do I do battle? Listen, do you ever have those internal battles in your soul? I would ask you to raise your hand, but I think everybody here, if they're honest, would raise their hand. Even Paul said, the things that I would, I do not, and the things that I would not, those things I do. Right? And the rest of the verse, I get so tongue-tangled uh, when I try to say it that I can't say it all. But the point is uh, that he struggled with the same things that we do, right? There's a battle going on in our soul. And I want to tell you that the Word of God is both our external weapon and our internal weapon. Did you ever notice that the Bible calls itself, the Word of God, a two-edged sword? Why is that? Because it cuts both ways. It cuts externally and it cuts internally. And it's the internal weaponry of our warfare as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is where it says that. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Notice this, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, the last time I checked, that's not out there. That's in here, right? Dividing the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He's talking about not only using the Word of God as our offensive weapon as we go forth conquering the strongholds of the devil out there, but using it as we conquer the strongholds of the enemy in here. And God will use His Word to win those victories. And then the third weapon of our warfare is the weapon of prayer. We talked a couple of weeks ago, actually on Palm Sunday, about the victory that comes through prayer, the power that Jesus employed, uh, praying unto his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, I know you thought verse 18 was just kind of accidentally dropped in there in the discussion of the armor of the Spirit, right? But it's not. God put it there on purpose. It's part of the the preparation. It's part of our weaponry. Just as the sword of the Spirit is part of our weaponry, so too this praying also, or always, with all prayer and supplication. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints is a very important part of our weaponry. So if we're going to summarize, what is the weapon? What is the identity of our weaponry? It consists of the Word of God and of prayer. You say, man, that's not very much weaponry. To which I say, it's all you need. It is sufficient because behind these weapons is the very power of God. You think a lightsaber is strong? You ain't seen nothing yet until you begin to wield the word of God and the power of prayer as you you use it according to the leadership of the Spirit of Christ in you. Now, let me talk to you for just a moment, if I can, about the nature of our weapons. We've got this weapon ring. These are things that we tend to harp on a lot around here because for whatever reason, though we've got these things in our hands, we we haven't learned how to use them. Too many of us today, folks, quite honestly, we've got the Word of God. We may read the Word of God on a cursory level, but we've not learned to meditate on the Word of God. We've not learned to employ the Word of God as our defensive and offensive weapon. 
And so consequently, we are taken unawares when the attacks of the enemy come. I've got to remind you that the weaponry that God has given to us has a very specific nature. The first thing we need to understand about the nature of our weaponry is that our weapons are not carnal. Now, this is important. When you're talking about prayer, did you know that you can pray carnally? Sure you can. If you're not praying truly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not praying according to the will of God, if you're trying to use prayer as your sledgehammer to try to force God to conform to your will, that's fleshly prayer, folks. That's carnal prayer. It's called selfishness. And we use sometimes prayer as a, as a means to, to, to try to make God satisfy my selfish desires. And that's certainly not what it's intended to be. And by the same token, we use the word of God in a carnal fashion. When we try to use it to prove our points or when we try to make God say something that he really never intended to say. Or when we, uh, in the power of the flesh, take our ten minutes and we sit down and we just kind of skim through a chapter or two and say, well, I've done my duty, I'm on my way, uh, go out to conquer the world. Can I tell you that you've been a little bit carnal in your, in your devotional time? Now, folks, don't get mad at me. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here, okay? Understand that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There's a great danger in trying to engage the battle in the power of the flesh. Can I remind you, according to the Scriptures, that every time you do that, you're going to be defeated. There's not a person in this room that is stronger than the devil. Well, I take that back. There is one. And he is in every one of us. But he is not us. <laughs> Rather, as we identify with him, as we become him before the world, then we are victorious. Galatians chapter 5, I want to read a number of passages of Scripture that talk about this. This is important, folks. This is the way to wield the Word of God. As a weapon. Romans, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, folks, listen. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I want you to understand that there is a whole lot of religious activity that's carried on today and by the way, always has been. By the power of the flesh, the, the methodologies of the flesh, the philosophies of the flesh, rather than by the Spirit of God. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I don't care how pragmatic your methodologies are. I don't care how well they work. If God's not in them, if not motivated and led by the Spirit of Christ, it's fleshly, it's carnal. And the results are going to be carnal. You can't perform the work of the Spirit in the power of the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore no condemnation, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Part of the character of belonging to Christ is that our walk is now a spiritual walk rather than a carnal walk. We don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the Spirit. Verse 5, the Bible says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. How do you know if you're living fleshly? Well, what things are important to you? If all the normal things are important to you that's important to everybody on your block, 
then you're probably living carnal. Right? The things of the flesh, or they that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Before we go there, I am crucified with Christ. You know this verse, right? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Talking about living a spiritual life. Living Christ or allowing Christ to live through us. First Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. What I'm trying to tell you, folks, is that in order to be victorious in the spiritual battle, you need to learn how to wield the weapons in the proper fashion. You need to learn how to use them spiritually. And that, is, that means being led and guided by the Spirit of Christ that's in you. Romans 8 and verse 13, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, or if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. We could go on and on, folks. You've heard these things many times. You cannot do a spiritual work in the power of the flesh. What I'm trying to tell you is that we don't lean on the wisdom of the world. We don't lean on learning. We don't lean on impressive credentials. We don't lead on a well-laid-out logical argument in order to convince people of the power of the gospel. Uh, as we've been talking on our Wednesday night Bible studies about winning souls on purpose or presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the question has often arisen, how can I convince so-and-so, logically speaking, to believe the Bible? And ultimately, the answer is you can. The Bible speaks for itself. The Spirit of God is the one who convinces a man or a woman to believe. And so we fall into a trap. We fall into an error when we go back to the philosophies of the world, the wisdom of man, my ability to figure out and present a logical argument to bring down his stronghold. I'm going to convince him by my great intellect. It's not going to work. Those are the weapons of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, For you see our calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God doesn't use the things that we think he ought to use sometimes. He uses that meek and quiet spirit yielded to him and using his word uh, according to the leadership of his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom. <laughs> Paul says, I wasn't the silver-tongued orator. I wasn't coming to you as a great uh, speaker. I didn't come to you with excellency of speech, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Okay, Paul, how did you come? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verses 4 and 5. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom or man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What I'm trying to tell you, folks, is that the best laid out argument with all the supporting evidence, will not convince a person who's determined to rebel against God. It will not bring down that stronghold. But a spirit-led child of God, meekly surrendered and sensitive to his spirit, who uses the word of God aright, many times will. And it's the only thing that will. You say, well, he doesn't even believe the Bible, so why should I quote scriptures to him? Because that's the only way he will come to believe the Bible. His word is the hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. It's not your great intellect and wisdom. Now, some of you are smart, folks, but nobody's smart as the devil except Jesus Christ in us. And he's given us the tools that we can defeat him with. 
Certainly, the dishonest approach to worldly wisdom is always ineffective. Our scheming, our conniving, our manipulating, our one-upmanship, outright lies, sometimes that are employed by the religious community, supposedly to make advances into the territory of the enemy. I've got to tell you that those things are always ineffective. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, the Bible says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, it is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We need to make sure, we need to convince ourselves of this, by the way. We need to believe what God says, that I can't do this on my own. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The psalm tells us. And we certainly need to believe that. Rather, we need to understand that the weapons of our warfare, talking about their nature, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. You know what's the saddest thing I ever heard? Somebody says, Preacher, I'm trying to win my friend. I'm trying to win my neighbor to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't have anything to work with but just the Bible. And I'm saying, What? That's all you've got? Well, poor you, right? The power of God. It's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. First Corinthians chapter 1 reminds you what it says, verse 18. But the preaching of the cross, or for the preaching of the cross, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We need to understand that our weapons are mighty through God. He is the one who makes them mighty. We also need to understand as we're dealing with these things that our weaponry is spiritual in its nature and its comprehension. That is, uh, it, 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 it it's directed at the innermost part of a man's being. It's directed to the spiritual side of a person, even though that spiritual side in the world is dead. That's what's quickened by the ministry of the Word of God as the Holy Spirit takes it to them. But it's also spiritual in its nature. And that's why it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. So you need to understand that your weaponry is mighty, but it's not mighty to knocking down physical walls. It's mighty to bringing down spiritual walls, spiritual strongholds. We need to understand also that the power of this weaponry comes through full yieldedness to Jesus Christ, full identification with him, understanding that we are, uh, our identity is derived from Christ in us and that our power is directly uh, controlled by him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says your faith, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, that not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Verse, chapter 4, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. It's not about how strong I am. 
not about how smart I am, not about how quick I am to present my, my witticisms. It's about the power of God working in the hearts and lives of individuals. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. That's what we're talking about. Living by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We have the example of David. We don't have the time to go into that, but I do want to remind you. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, talks about David's battle against the great giant Goliath. And he said to Goliath in verse 45, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Now let me pause here for just a moment. For those of you that would spend some time as a child in Sunday school, which guy is bigger, David or Goliath? Which one is stronger physically? David or Goliath? Well, David is a lad, right? He's a child, probably 16, 17 years of age. Uh, Goliath is a proven man of war. He's, you read about his, his spear and his shield and uh, the size of this guy, and you're thinking, hmm, no, think so. But David said, you come to me with a spear and a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, and the next verse says, and he will deliver me, are you unto me. He will deliver you into me. David had learned that his power, his strength, whatever weaponry he had, and by the way, he tried Saul's armor and it wouldn't fit him, so he couldn't use it. So he went out defenseless to the battle, but the reason he was victorious was because he was not defenseless. He rested in the power of God. And so God guided the rock, and the next thing Goliath knew, he didn't know nothing. Right? The whole point we're trying to make to you folks is that we need to learn that our weaponry is spiritual. We have all that we need to win the spiritual battle. We, need, we have all that we need to knock down the spiritual strongholds that are out there in the world, those who are resistant to the presentation of the gospel, the political powers that are resistant to the power of God, and all the other powers that are out there. We've got all that we need to bring down those strongholds, and indeed we've got all that we need to bring down the strongholds within our souls, but we have to wield those weapons spiritually as yielded to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in us. We cannot do it in our own strength. Our power comes only through yieldedness to Him. Now, I want to bring you real quickly to conclusion in the message this morning by pointing out to you, if I may, the effect of the weapons. If you use the weapons properly, the way we've been talking about, two things are going to happen. Look with me, if you will, in verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to try not to preach this. I want to just give it to you, okay, and let the Holy Spirit teach you through the afternoon. Uh, Verse 4, the Bible says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are two things that are accomplished by our weapons. The first one is bringing down the wall. In those days, the imagery of this passage has to do with the form of warfare uh, that they employed in those days against fortified positions, talking about walled cities, fortresses, towers, and so forth. Now, they didn't have atom bombs or any other kind of bombs. 
for that matter. Uh, so if there was a fortified city, a city with a wall around it, usually what they would have to do was besiege the city. And eventually, when people got hungry enough or when there was a breach found in the wall, uh, they had to, in some fashion, uh, break through the wall, knock it down, bring it down, cast it down. That's why the story of the fall of Jericho's wall is such a great story. Because God removed the fortifications. <laughs> God, God removed the towers, if you will, so that the people could go forward and conquer. But so our spiritual weaponry is effective in conquering enemy territory by knocking down strongholds. Two times in these verses, in verse 4, he talks about pulling down strongholds. And in verse 5, he talks about casting down imaginations. And in both cases, he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about knocking the walls down, bringing down the defenses. And he specifically talks about imagination. That reminds you that the imagination of man tends to exalt itself in pride against God and must be defeated. Imagination here doesn't refer to fancies, but rather to reasonings and calculations, figuring things out, making God make sense logically. But God tells us that man's wisdom and reasoning ability cannot attain unto God. You don't, you don't, in fact, he says he's got to bring down those walls of defense, which are based on imaginations and reasonings. But then he talks about casting down every high thing. That which is exalted in pride against the knowledge of God. Now next week I want to talk to you a little bit more about both the earthly and the spiritual powers that resist God. And the knowledge of God, perhaps. But notice, if you will, how the Spirit of God works through His people to effect victory in spiritual wickedness in high places. And God brings that victory through to us. And He casts those, uh, those high things down. The Bible tells us that those high things have to be brought down or humbled. And we'll talk some more about that, Lord willing. But there's a second aspect of the victory. There's the casting down, breaking down the walls, and then the second one is the carrying away of the spoil. And you'll notice that at the last part of uh, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity. Now, folks, listen, this is where most of the time we fail. We knock down the walls, but we don't take any captives. And God says that we are to carry away the spoil. We're supposed to bring every thought into captivity. So we'll talk some about that. But the ultimate goal is to bring those things into submission to the obedience of Christ. The captivity of every thought is an active process. It's brought through the intentional obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ at a mind level, at a soul level, if you will. How do we become strong spiritually? By yielding my soul to the Spirit of Christ, the power of His Word. And the Bible says that when we do that, there is no stronghold that can withstand us, and there is no imagination or no thought that cannot be carried captive to Him. Most of our thoughts today are captivated by the entertainment media of the world that we live in or even just by the distractions of our daily lives. What I'm trying to tell you is if you ever want to be victorious in your Christian life, if you ever want to be all that you want to be or need to be in Him, and if we as a church are ever going to come to bring, become victorious in conquering the strongholds that are out there, we've got to learn what the weapons are we need to understand what the nature of those weapons are, and we need to learn how to use them by the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us.
Will you stand with me, please, this morning with your heads bowed, your eyes closed? Father, I don't know what you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people. I know that you've given us the message this morning for a reason. I know that there's something that you want to do. And so I pray that there'll not be any one of us who is in and of ourselves a, a, a stronghold against what your spirit would do. But rather, I pray that we would willingly yield ourselves to you, that we would be fully in surrender uh, to your will for us, and we would allow you to use us as instruments. Lord, I pray that even as we go into the invitation time, that we'll not be resistant, but submissive and yielded and obedient. And we'll come and turn these areas of our lives over to you. I want to pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't yet know you as Savior. They will come and trust you before it's too late. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.